Good morning. Uh, there are several of you here who I haven't had the opportunity to meet. My name is Chris Cox. I am the director of 121 for Back-to-Back Ministries. And I know if you've been here the last few weeks that you've heard great stories of how this church fuels ministries that are both a part of Grace Chapel, but also reaching into the world around from Back-to-Back Nigeria to um, outreaches even in, in this area of Mason that Kevin and Eric have shared about. And this morning, I just want to show you a little glimpse into the ministry of our youth culture that Grace Chapel is partnered with. There are some churches that you go to and that you attend. There are other churches that you are and that you are a part of and that it is a body that is living and breathing. And I am so blessed to be a part of a church here at Grace Chapel that is the latter, that is living and breathing and is part of the kingdom of God that is moving and changing the lives of people around uh, the world. And almost four years ago to the day, Jeff Greer and I sat at Kid Coffee and I shared with him a vision that God had placed on my heart for the next generation, for students and youth culture and how I felt that God was doing something beyond just local youth ministry that I had been a part of for the eight years prior. And if you know Jeff, you know that moments of vision like that um, ride right with the, the level that he tracks with all the time. And his response was, come do it here. Let's be part of this. Let's dive into this together. And um, we had known each other because he was my wife's youth pastor, but that was the extent of our relationship. And, and he dove right in with what was going to become this ministry called 121. And over the last uh, almost four years, God has moved a ministry from a vision that we had sitting at Kid Coffee to a realistic global influence for next generation leaders in that we started with the impact groups that we have here at Grace Chapel, which are still thriving. We have two impact groups between our Athlete Impact, which is an outreach to athletes in the Mason community, and a drama impact group called Cincinnati Community Theater, or Christian Community Theater, that is drawing in students who love the arts. Over 120 students in this area are coming to those um, experiences and then walking into church because of their experience there. We started with this impact movement that Jeff and Debbie had started years ago, and now it has become something that is reaching churches in the Cincinnati, Dayton, Indianapolis, and even Monterey areas. We, over the past year, 121, has shared the gospel with over 1,500 students um, in several states and two countries. And just last week, I was in Michigan uh, speaking the gospel to 250 students who started to join the movement of 121 as they were Indianapolis churches. And we have seen so much growth in the way in which the gospel is being shared, not just here, but globally. And so when Jeff says we're here to be a global community, I now know what that means. Because on February 1st, a couple of uh, our 121 staff and I get on a plane and we're flying to Monterey to run one of our youth conferences for 70 high school orphans who don't get conferences like we get all the time. And we're going to piece together a weekend retreat for them that's going to be highly experiential, all about the gospel, redefining identity in Jesus for them. And they don't have to pay for it and they don't have to create resources to be there. It's going to be completely provided because of churches like Grace Chapel. 
We needed $500 this morning in order to offset the expenses to go do this retreat. And I shared that during first service. And Grace Chapel is the kind of church that when you ask and say we're, we're $500 short and then we've got all the resources taken care of. Uh, by the time I walk up to you to talk this morning, we have been blessed with $1,500 um, for that expense. So I don't know what else God wants to put in their hands. But he obviously needed more than just the $500 that I was thinking of. And so we're going to be able to pour into these children with our vision, which is just simply this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 says, To live is Christ, to die is gain. It can be a very strong verse, but for youth culture, the way we approach that verse as 121 is to raise up a generation to live like Jesus with their hearts set on eternity. They're not worried about the here and now. They're not worried about the junk at school. They're not worried about what's right in front of them because they can see an eternity with Jesus as the objective of their life. And two amazing things have happened over the past year. The first is what I just told you about going to Monterey for this youth conference, being able to support our global staff with back-to-back in a way um, by bringing our strength to them and sharing the gospel with 70 students in hopefully a way that will transform their lives. The second is what we call the Jericho Project. It started this past November. In the time that I've been um, around the, the several states, and every time I, I hear from a student, I hear the same thing. I love Jesus, but my school, I can't do anything there. It's so impossible to be yourself in school. It's so impossible to share the gospel in school. And it was like there's some big, massive bully in every high school around America just punching every Christian in the face. And I didn't know who that was except to think it's it's spiritual warfare and so we started our team started to pray about it and we started to challenge students in this way what if we approached high school the way god approached the city of jericho as a city that was shut up inside and out and it was impenetrable except that god had already promised that he had already taken it so we started this project challenging high school students to go into their high school one day a week before or after school, when no one else was there, when the brutality of all the bullying and all the sarcasm and all the junk and all of the the program was absent, and pray through their hallways. Just take the presence of God into your high school. Just walk through every hallway once for the rest of the school year. And so far, over 200 high school students representing over 75 high schools between Cincinnati, Dayton, and Indianapolis are in their schools one day a week, every week, praying the name of Jesus into their school. Step one in a movement in high schools. I know just this past week in Indianapolis, over 30 students showed up on Wednesday morning and prayed through every every hallway together in the name of Jesus, bringing his presence into their school. We're not done with that, but step one for 121 was let's let's take our schools back. In the name of Jesus, on behalf of high school students... That's what we're doing. We're honored to be part of a church and to be supported by a church like you that says, go, change the world, live on the fringes, be with the next generation. And we just wanted you to know a little bit about who we were because you are a vital part of who we are and how we're thriving in ministry. And this church puts a foundation for us to go out into the next generation so that they can live for Jesus. So thank you for being who you are. And thank you, Jeff, for allowing us to be part of what you're doing here. I'll tell you what, it is, it is really exciting uh, 
to be a part of our church right now. Um, I've always been excited, but I, I'll tell you, um, last year or so, God has been truly blessing us. I'm also amazed because I know a lot of places didn't have church this morning. First service was packed. Second service is, you know, pretty well attended here. Um, it shows that we're, you know, we're, you guys will get in your cars and come to church even on a, an icy day. Really appreciate it. Didn't even think about closing. You know, if it's illegal to be here, we won't be open. Other than that, whether it's Christmas, you know, on Sunday, whatever else, we're going to be open here in Grace Chapel. But um, hey, real quick, if you haven't been over to the Grace Impact Center recently, I mean, like in the last three days, you need to go peek through there because we put the finishing touches, mostly the finishing touches on the, the rest of that building. It looks absolutely amazing. I mean, we have about 2,000 people a week that are in that building using the facilities. We'll have people in there from 1 o'clock till 9 o'clock at night, about four or 500 people just in the soccer area today from 1 to 9. Um, great opportunity. And I know Kevin's been getting some of you to be involved. We're handing out. People have donated drinks that we can hand out to folks. And Kevin was telling me what an what inspiration that was to a lot of people where you can come and just say, hey, we just, we're so thankful you're here using the facility. Here's something, here's something free to drink, some water, some juice, some you know, iced tea or whatever. So um, we're having an impact. God is truly blessing us. And I'm really excited about 2012. I really, really am to see what God, what God is going to do. All right. We're going to be in 1 Timothy here, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Kind of leading up to, the next two weeks are leading up to our series, 40 Days in the Word. So 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit, Spirit, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through, through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Okay, question for you. How do you know what you've been taught in the past or what you're being taught in the present in one of your Bible studies or a church or whatever else, how do you know that what you're being taught is actually true? How do you know if it's true? Because the Bible talks a lot about false teachers and how they'll influence our lives, false teachers, and how, they, how destructive they can become. So how do you know that you're not being led astray, that you're not being pulled in the wrong direction, that you're not being pulled off course even just a little bit? The answer is a little simpler than you may think of how we can avoid being pulled in those directions. And I, I, I read this, I read a, like an illustration this week that I want to share with you uh, that I really, I really appreciated. The American Banking Association is, has a training program. And each year it takes you know, hundreds of bank tellers for two weeks and it brings them to Washington to make sure that they are able to detect counterfeit money. And the interesting thing here is that during the entire two-week program, they do not allow the bank tellers to touch any of the counterfeit money. It doesn't touch their hands. They don't see it. They don't interact with the counterfeit money. You think, well, that doesn't make any sense. Only the original passes through their hands. Only the original money, real money, the true money, passes through their hands. The reason is that the American Banking Association is convinced, it says, that if a, if a person thoroughly, thoroughly is familiar with the original, that they won't be tricked. They will not be deceived by the counterfeit bill, no matter how much alike it looks like the original, how much it looks like the original. 
So they go there, they train these people for a couple of weeks. They do not let counterfeit money pass through their hands. They only allow real, true money to pass through their hands because they're convinced that if you know what the original looks like, if you understand the original, if you felt the original, that when the counterfeit comes, you will be able to detect what is counterfeit. I love that. I love that. And I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we go forward in what we're talking about. I want you to keep that story in mind. My other question is, how familiar are you with the Bible? How often, if you will, does it pass through your hands? Think about that. How familiar are you with the Word of God? How often does the Bible pass through your hands? See, 1 Timothy is a, is a really stern warning to believers It's a warning to believers, a serious warning. In verse 1 it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The phrase later times often gets us to conjure up the end times. This will happen in the end times. But that's not what it means. It means a little later on. A little later on. It means just a little bit further down the road in the future. A little bit. In other words... Uh, what Paul is saying is that, the, that deceiving spirits are already a part of the church. They're already a part of the church. They, they, this is going to happen, he said, almost immediately as he's writing this. This is happening. It will happen almost immediately and it will take place until the end of time. So it's, it's not one of those things you read about and you say, well, I don't have to worry about that right now because that will come in the end times. Whenever that is, we don't know exactly when it's going to be, but not right now in 2012. It's not going to happen to us now. It's not going to happen to us Christians at this point. But what does it actually tell Christians that this is true? If, 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 if false teachers are going to be a part of the church from a couple thousand years ago till now until the end of time, what it tells Christians is that we need to be constantly on guard against false teachers. We need to be constantly aware that these things may be happening all around us. Now, this is also important that this is a revelation from the Spirit of God. God himself is speaking to us and telling us. He's warning us. God himself is warning us. So, so what does that tell you when God himself warns you about the severity of what's going on, the severity and the significance of the warning. Paul writes that false teachers will abandon the faith. They will abandon the faith. So how do we know? How is it that we know? Where where do these false teachers come from? How do we know when they're around us? And how can we be aware of this? Where do we find false teachers? Well, you can find false teachers almost anywhere. But in this context here, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is talking specifically about the church, that they'll be found within the church itself. He's not talking about philosophies and false teachings taught by those who are, who are out in the world. He's talking about this happening right within the body of Christ, the, the church itself. First Timothy is a warning that there will be pastors and there will be teachers within the body of Christ that turn away from the faith and become false teachers. They're false teachers. I remember one, someone who, one of my seminary professors, was, was talking about the fact that when he was in seminary, there was someone, uh, there was someone sitting next to him, and they were kind of, you know, you get to know people sitting around you, and finally the guy said, well, why, why are you even here? Because they, you know, they were making a mockery out of him, and he said, hey, the church is a good racket. 
You know, this whole this whole church thing is a good racket. And, you know, money, a lot of money passes through and all. And he was saying it's, you know, this person didn't even know Christ. But you know what? They end up sounding like like you and acting like you. And they know the certain terminology and they come in in like wolves in sheep's clothing. And this is what he's talking about, the false teachers, pastors or not. There are a lot of people in churches that that are going to use their platform to promote their own agenda and build their own kingdom. Some of you come from places where you've been, in a sense, spiritually abused and you wonder, how can this happen within the church? So many questions you ask about the church can be answered in passages like this. How could someone who says they're a pastor, how could someone who calls himself an elder, how could someone who says they're a church leader, blah, 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 whatever they they may have done in the past, how can that happen? Now, I'm not saying it all fits into here, but when you ask those questions, you need to understand that Paul is telling us that these people are all around. It's not one in a billion. There are lots of people who will behave this way. And so they want to build their own kingdom. So when a deceiving, they have that mentality coming in. So when a deceiving spirit begins to speak into their hearts and their minds, they are easily taken in, easily taken captive. You don't know the enemy knows who these people are. And so they're pulled in. Verse 1 tells us they follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You see, the goal of the enemy is to lead you to get you to think their way and to follow them. And to lead you as far away as possible from the word of God. These good ideas, these kind of neat phrases, you know, these things. A lot of, you know, a lot of times you go to a church and it's like, well, the, I don't, they didn't really use any scripture. They didn't really, after a while, you're like, why aren't they, why aren't they really preaching from from the word or if they are preaching from the word you're going that you know i've i've been a christian for a long time and that doesn't really that doesn't make a lot of sense i'm not i'm confused by that i'm confused by what they're saying and this is this point is important too the enemy is not going to come and just have a it's not going to be a frontal assault not going to get up in church one day and say, you know, people, uh, just to let you know, what I'm going to teach you this morning is not really true. It's not true. It's kind of true. It's a half truth presented as the whole truth. You know what I mean? But it's not completely true. But I, I, don't, I don't totally agree with what the Bible said on this one, uh, on this one point. So I'm going to share my opinion with you or I'm going to kind of twist the word of God into it says what I want it to say. And they're not, that's not what the person is going to say in the Bible study or as the pastor or as the elder. That's not what they're going to do. They're not going to have that frontal assault. The, the way they do this is, is more insidious, really. They mix truth with error. 90% of the truth, 98% truth, 2% or 8% or 10% error. They mix a lot of truth. So it sounds kind of right, but then you're kind of scratching your head a little bit going, but I never heard that other part. And I, you know, but you know, this guy, hey, he went to seminary or he went to Bible school or he was been a pastor for a long time. He must know what he's talking about. I must be wrong. So I don't want to, what they do, the way, the, the method they use is to seduce and deceive, and lure, and persuade, and charm, and present, present themselves as light and truth. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of like awkward. You don't know, you, you kind of think there's something wrong there, but they're presenting it in such a, you know, they're kind, and, they're, they, and so you get taken in by it. In first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 13-15, says this, And no wonder... Okay, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants 
of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Now, you're sitting here thinking, you know, I, I understand that. And why, why, why are we talking about this? Again, it is so important for us as the body of Christ to be a healthy church, to understand when you're hearing something that's not true, wherever it comes from. Wherever it comes from. We need to know the word. We need to understand the word. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense, but that's not going to happen here at Grace Chapel. It already has. It already has. A few years back, I was going on a mission trip to Mexico. Before I left, someone came in and said, I know this guy. He's really, really great. Here's his background. And I've, I've been in Bible studies with him before. And just love him, love him, love him. Just so wonderful. Okay? So I got the background. He said, he's going to come in and teach for about six weeks to one of our Bible study classes. And, and I said, okay, well, that's fine. I, I trust you. Well, I was there that one week and nothing really was going on. And then when I went to Mexico, I got a phone call from someone and said, you know, Pastor, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I just don't like what this guy is saying. It's not what I get taught, you know, by others in the church. And so I'm a little uncomfortable as a younger Christian. And so I called some of the more mature Christians and they were saying, absolutely, there's a problem here. This person's teaching this or teaching that. I called immediately back and said, done. The person's done. Get him out. I want them out of here. Got another staff person. Got with that person. No more. You're, you're, you're finished here. Well, he didn't like it at all. Oh, he's all worked up about it. how dare we judge? How dare we? All this kind of thing. And so he's out of there. A couple other people get upset because they just thought he was wonderful. He's so wonderful. He's gone. About six months to a year later, he goes to another Bible study group, seduces someone in that group, destroys their marriage and destroys their family because Jesus is love and he's going to share his own kind of love. Twist it around a little bit. He's so wonderful. It all sounds so nice, but the, uh, the idea behind a person like this is that they want to destroy the body of Christ. The goal is to come in and not have this frontal assault, but to slowly seep it in there and destroy the body of Christ. And it says in 2 Corinthians, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as a servant of righteousness. Oh, the person is so this, the person is so that. Of course they are. doesn't matter how nice they are. doesn't matter how charismatic they are. doesn't matter how whatever they are. If they're talking lies... It's a lie. It doesn't matter what they wrap it in. If you wrap a piece of dog poop in a packet of chocolate, it's still dog poop. I don't want to eat it. You don't want to eat it, right? That's what it is. Oh, but you know, it just looks so, the person's so, if they're speaking lies, they're speaking lies. Don't be taken in by appearance. Don't be taken in by a person's personality. Know that it is the word of God. Know the word of God and know if the person is speaking something other than the word of God. That's what we need to do. We need to be aware. We need to be totally aware. False teachers, the, the word of God says, speaks, speak lies in hypocrisy. Simply put, they teach something other. They teach something different than the word of God teaches. And here's the key. And they know it. So many people, and I really appreciate it, are so trusting. And you'd never think a person would do anything like this. You're completely confused this morning about this whole topic. Because no one would really ever do that. Yeah, they would. Hypocritical liars. They knowingly teach something other than the word of God. And in our culture, here's the even harder thing. In our culture, and I experienced this when I told a person, beat it. 
In our culture, you can't even confront someone who's a hypocrite or a liar because that's, that's inappropriate because it's not politically correct. You know what I mean? Judge not lest you be judged and let this person share their own. And so it's not politically correct. So even if you and I know, if everyone knows a person is lying, we don't say it because it's not, a pro, it's not politically correct to do that. And this is what false teachers depend on. They depend on your good, your good disposition that you're not going to confront and you're not going to, because you're not really sure. They depend on the fact that even though people know they're not telling all the truth, that they're not going to challenge them. They're not going to be challenged. And especially, again, in our culture, they don't, they don't get challenged very often. They're very forceful. They're very confident in themselves. They're teaching complete lies. And they, they, have, they, they know that most people are not going to challenge them. Hypocritical liars means that the teacher knows that they're teaching something other than what the scriptures teach. They claim to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet they teach something that is opposed to what Jesus himself taught. And they absolutely, positively know it. They're a hypocrite. And a hypocrite is a person who says they're one thing, but in their hearts and in their minds, there's something different. And, and you think, well, where, where in Scripture is it kind of point this out? In Matthew chapter 15, 7 through 9, it says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me. Listen to what he says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And then Titus 1.16, it says, They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. See, here's what's happened. False teachers have seared their consciences. They have, they have become callous, hardened, insensitive. And, and it doesn't bother them to teach something opposite of what the Bible teaches. It doesn't bother them at all. You say, how can it not bother someone? They know they're leading people in the wrong direction. They don't care. They have a seared conscience. They're hardened. They're insensitive to, 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 to saying things that are opposite of what Jesus would teach. They, they can ignore and deny Scripture and teach their own ideas and their own philosophies and not be bothered by it in the slightest. They're not bothered by it at all. They have lost all sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Lost it. And they don't care and they don't care if they're, dragging, if they're dragging Christ in the mud or affecting the church or twisting the Bible or the truth about Jesus Christ it, because they've seared their consciences. Have you ever wondered how someone could treat another person? And I'm not going to get into detail, but, you know, some of these serial whatevers. You ever noticed, you ever wonder to yourself, how can someone actually do that? I mean, how can someone treat another person this way? Whether it's physically or emotionally, the torment. You ever wonder how a, how a human being can do that? The Bible describes it perfectly. It is a dulled or seared conscience. When you sear your conscience, you're two different people on the out. Now, why do you think people say, well, he was my neighbor. He mowed my lawn. Oh, I love, he was just a wonderful person. And he's got, you know, things buried in his backyard and everything. Right? Oh, he was great. He was, he was on the school board and he was this and he was that. He was a Boy Scout leader and everything else. And, and how do you think people do that? The Bible says they have a seared conscience. 
If you think that there's no false teachers running around, that people can't look you right in the face and say one thing and be thinking something totally different and thinking, I've taken this person in. I've sucked them in. It happens in the world all the time, business people looking right across the table and lying to your face, and you don't think it happens in the church. If you've got a seared conscience, what do you care what you're saying to other people? What you're trying to do is manipulate them into most of the time you destroy the church. You undermine divisiveness. You get people around you because you're so wonderful and pastor so is so great and elder so is so wonderful and that church leader is my best buddy and no matter what they say, you back them. But the reality is all they're doing is using people within the church to what? Destroy the body of Christ. That's their goal. They have a seared conscience. They are insensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're not like you. They're not like you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and the Holy Spirit convicts you. Remember something really quickly. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you about doing something wrong, you should feel convicted. Okay, never condemned. The evil one condemns, making you feel like you can't get, you can never be the same again, that you're never, if if you really love Jesus, you'd never act this way. You wouldn't commit that same sin over and over again. That's condemnation. That comes from Satan. The Holy Spirit convicts you. When you feel convicted in your heart, you say, you know what? That was wrong. What I did was wrong. You then repent. When you repent and you ask for forgiveness, God forgives you. When God forgives you, you move on. You shouldn't walk around uh, carrying a packet of guilt on your back and feeling condemned. That's not of God. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so you and I don't have to feel condemnation. Okay? So the Spirit convicts us, and then we move along. We ask forgiveness and move on. These people don't feel the conviction anymore because they've hardened their hearts. They're callous. They, they have a, a seared conscience. In Acts chapter 20, verse 27, it says, For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have, ca- they, have ca- they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. There'd be forgiveness. If they were listening to me, I would hear their cries of forgiveness, and I would heal them. So how do you know, how do you know when someone is telling you a lie or leading you in the wrong direction? I mean, ask yourself that question. How do you know when you're being led in the wrong direction? Whether it's through a teacher at school or a coach on the field, just because your coach says something doesn't make it right. Or your teacher or maybe a family member or a friend. How do you know the person you're interacting with who says, oh, I believe the same thing you believe, then starts telling you all kinds of things. You're like, well, I never heard that from from Pastor Jeff or my Bible study or, you know, my youth group or I, I, I don't, you know, but, you know, the person's your friend. They're so sincere. Oh, but they're so sincere. Let me tell you something. People, someone could look at you right in your face, right in your eyes with a tear dripping down their cheek and inside be thinking, sucker. Now, I know people don't want to believe that, but I'm sorry, after 30 years of this, someone can look at you with two tears dripping down their face. How many times have you heard someone on the radio or on the news, someone does something horrible, and they're crying, they're like, oh, I can't believe my poor kids and my poor wife or my poor whatever, and then you find out they premeditated the whole thing, and they're crocodile tearing on, and you're like, how can someone do that? How can someone do that? We have to be aware of the world in which we live. You have to ask yourself the question, how do I know that what I'm being told wherever I am is the truth and not a lie and a person's not leading me astray? Because even a small spiritual lie can change the course of someone's life. A ship, a ship 
if it goes just a little bit out of whack, just a little bit in the wrong direction, just a tiny bit over a course of miles, you're going the wrong way, brother and sister. You're going the wrong way. Look at that. Look at that Italian ship over there. What happened? The captain decides, I'm just going to go a little bit closer, right? A li- just a tiny bit off course here, runs into rocks, and all these people end up losing their lives. People's lives are ruined because he just went just a tiny, you know, come on. What's the big deal? The captain only went a tiny bit off course. He was supposed to stay in this heading. He knew what the heading was, but he just turned just a little bit off. Ever been in a car? You ever been in a car and you just reach down for a French fry? I've never done this, but maybe all of you have. Um, but you reach... <laughs> You reach down for your phone or a French fry or something like that. You take your eyes off the road just for a second and you think, well, I'm going, I'm still in the same, I'm in the right lane, right? And where are you? You're either in another, you're in the other lane or you're almost on your way into the ditch. Only a few seconds of not paying attention, just a tiny bit off course. Your, your, your steering wheel is just the tiniest bit. And within a few seconds, you're going off into a ditch. You're going into the other lane. You're causing all kinds of problems. When someone teaches you, when someone teaches you a lie, even small, seemingly ins- a small insignificant lie, it can change the course of your entire life. If you listen to false teachers, just a, just a little twinge off to the, this way, it affects the way you interact with people around you. If I taught you a little bit of a lie mixed with a whole bunch of truth about family and how you raise your kids and how you talk, you should interact with your wife or how you should deal with t- people at work. If I lied to you just the littlest bit, that would affect the way you interact with your family, how you raise your children. You'd say, well, Pastor Jeff said that I should. All I got to do is twist it just a little bit and you'll be making all the wrong choices. It affects your decision making wherever you are. If someone's lying to you, if your mentor lied to you in some way, your life is not going to be going in the right direction. We need to be careful. And the only way that you know something's a lie, hear me out here. The only way you know something's a lie is if you understand and know the truth. The way you determine if something's a lie is to know what's true. A lie is very easy to spot if you know what the truth looks like, correct? If you know exactly what the truth looks like, then then you're going to be able to, man, this is like disappearing. (laughs) I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? (laughs) If you know, it's a lie is easy to spot if you know what the truth looks like. Paul says, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 21, test everything. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Test everything. Hold on to the good. How do you test everything? How do you know? How do you test it? How do you, com- you compare it with the word of God. You compare it with God's word and you see if it's in alignment. How do you test everything? You compare it with the truth of God's word and make sure that what you're being told out here is in alignment with the word of God, that it's in agreement with the word of God. If it is not in agreement with the word of God, then it is not true. He says, test everything. Test the spirits. Don't just let things come into your life from other people, other sources, and think, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I heard that. Oh, I read it on the Internet. 
I'm sure that that's fine. Oh, I heard on this. I, I listened to that. You test everything by the word of God and hold on to what is true. In two weeks, my friends, we're going to be going through a very important series called 40 Days in the Word. 40 Days in the Word. And, and just like that counterfeit money story I told you early on, in the same way, I want us to spend 40 days in the truth. I want us to spend 40 days in the word of God. I want us to be, if you will, I want us to be handling for 40 days. I want us to be handling the truth, handling the scriptures, handling the Bible and letting it penetrate our hearts and our minds, letting it seep in, letting it permeate every part of our lives so that when someone comes along and tries to tell you something other than what the word of God says, you're going to know. You're going to say, that's not correct. I know. I have felt. I, I understand i have not allowed these things to go i've only word the word of god the word of god has permeated my life so that when someone comes along and tries to tell you something other than what the word of god says when someone tries to lie to you in your class at school when someone tries to lie to you at work when someone tries to lie to you in a bible study when someone tries to lie to you at church whatever the case doesn't matter you will know what is true you will not be taken in by evil. You will not be taken in by their deceitful lives. When we seek to apply, when we seek to understand the word of God, and then we seek to apply it to our lives, we will not so easily be taken in by the enemy's lies and deceit. We will keep our lives on the right course. We will keep our lives on the right course. Now, as I close, I want to encourage one last thing. I want to challenge you, and I don't want to. I don't want to push because I know in, in in this day, this time, you know, history, you push people. Sometimes you push them too far. You push them away. I don't want that to happen. I really don't. But here's what I'm saying. I want to challenge you. Over the next six weeks, February first Sunday in February, the series kicks off. Forty days in the Word. But before that, even before that, the next couple of weeks. Our life groups will be kind of leading up to this. I want to encourage you all to get involved in a life group for six weeks. If you're not. To, 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 to get involved, to connect with a life group so you're not just hearing it on Sunday mornings, but you're interacting with people who know the word of God during the week. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to, you know, people don't want to go. I'm not a joiner. I'm not a joiner either. But, you know, just for six weeks, think about, pray about joining a life group and being a part of that life group so that we can all be immersed, we can all be handling, it can be passing through our hands the word of God, we can all be strengthening our own spiritual lives. The stronger this body is, the more healthy this church is, the more dynamic and amazing things are going to happen this year. What a great opportunity for you to engage, get involved, and I'll tell you another reason. As much and as fun as it is to be here on Sunday mornings and the music and the preaching and all that kind of stuff that goes on, it is very difficult to build deep, intimate, meaningful relationships on a Sunday morning when I do most of the talking, you do the listening, and then you get up from here and you just kind of file out and maybe shake a few people's hands, give you a hug and kind of, it's, it, you don't get the intimacy, you don't get the relationship, the connectedness. I want, there's so many people in this church, we've grown by about 150 people in the last four or five months. There's so many people in this church right now who are not connected and don't know folks. I, we want you to be connected. We want you to feel like you're a part of this body. I know it's out of your comfort zone, but if you would just pray about for the next six weeks, just connecting into a life group 
And, and, and if it's not, that's not your, that your group of people, then you switch to a different life group until you find your place where you feel comfortable. Maybe a men's Bible study or a woman's Bible study or a life group. We want you to be connected here at Grace Chapel. Out in the foyer, there's a, there's a table, and it's got, it's got life groups on there. There's a sheet of paper with all the different life groups that meet throughout the week. We have about three or four new life groups starting up over the next few weeks. So if you'd like to jump into a new group where everybody doesn't really know each other, that's great as well. One will be happening um, after uh, uh, between services, I believe. Am I right? Who's Chuck, are you out there? Second service. Okay. Yes, yeah, second service. I, uh, someone came to me this morning and said they'd like to start one before first service. Um, there's another one in Lebanon. There's one starting on Tuesday nights. So we have all these new ones that are, that are starting up. You can join one of those or you can join an existing life group. I just want to encourage you because some of you are right on the edge and you're, you just don't have the confidence to, to lead. And you're thinking, you know, if I, I just don't want to. I don't think I'm strong enough. This may give you the opportunity. We can train you and encourage you and build into you where you can take that next step in your spiritual journey and be one of those leaders. If we all work together, serving together, we can do tremendous things for God. So I don't want to push too hard. I just want to encourage and challenge you for the next six weeks. If you could be involved in a life group, that would, be just, that would just be wonderful. It would just warm my heart because I want to make sure that every single person, I really love you guys. I do. I love you with all my heart. And the one thing that really breaks my heart is when people don't feel connected to the church. So I want to push you a little bit and say, if you really want to be connected, you need to to take that step as well. You can't expect others just to come over because people are as uncomfortable as you are sometimes in a church not knowing other people. You need to take the step to connect with those life groups and build those relationships. All right? Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I am so excited. I know the leaders are excited, the staff, the elders, the church leaders, they're all excited about this new upcoming series and how it can have an impact on our lives. Lord God, from the youngest to the oldest, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to know your word so that we will not be taken in by deceitful spirits. We will not be taken in by those who call themselves believers but are not. They're deceivers, liars, hypocrites who, de- who desire to undermine your word, to undermine the gospel of Christ. I pray, Lord God, that we would be strong enough as a church, that when these people come, when this happens, we will be able to point it out and cut, it, cut the cancer out, Lord God, so that we'll remain healthy and strong as a church. That's what we want, Lord God. You can add to our numbers those who are being saved. We will focus on being healthy, a healthy body. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Give us the discernment. Give us the knowledge, Lord God, of your word so that we can do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.